Greetings, this is Dr. Tavo DRC, the leader of the Organic Christ Vaughan community, and this is an ebook audio version. It's called Defragging the Accuser Discernment of New Testament Levitical Patriarchism by Tavo DRC, published by Celebration of His Word Publishing, 2013. This is part of our ongoing training series for leaders, fivefold offices from under Dr. Tavo DRC Senior Leadership Ministries. Before we start, let me first of all say that I was brought up by a very organic, happy father who loved my mother, had a very happy Christ-following home. They were senior pastor parents, also taught school. My mother did the books. There was no gender type of uh, role. It was just like everyone was Ephesians 5, Mutual respect, mutual submission in the fear of the Lord toward each other, the husband and wife, with the husband being the tiebreaker in that. And that's how I was brought up. And I brought up with no religion. I was brought up with no control, no harsh correction. My mother was the more strong of the two, the more disciplinarian and tended toward dominating. I had a grandmother that would come and would try to be controlling. So I learned about matriarchs that I didn't want to be one. God didn't want me to be one, so I learned about being submissive and also about being a pioneering leader, an organic pastor, a pioneer, apostle, whatever you want to be, a bishop. I learned that from just being with my father as a small child, going with him to the grocery store, going with him to the church, seeing how I behaved behind the scenes with my mother and family, seeing how he played and laughed, how he visited, even if it was just small, not being wealthy, just would go out to eat with hamburgers in the car while he went to go to the visit the um, hospital with the people who were sick. We'd sit in the car playing games. And then it was just a normal, natural life. That's all it was. We'd get ice cream after the hamburger, and my grandmother would be there during the school year to babysit, and different things like that. Both worked. Sometimes we had a housekeeper uh, when she wasn't there that would cook for us, but it was treated like one of the family, ate at the dinner table with us. So they were leaders, but I never, and I saw their lampstand. I saw their home, I saw their ministry, I saw what was really real, and I never came away with feeling it was religious. I never tying it in with it was anything other than serving the Lord. It was never a burden. It was never complex. It was just like, oh, yeah, we love Jesus. They do the hard work of helping, but I never hear any complaining. I never hear any men can't do any, you know, men are the only leaders. Women should not lead. Instead, it was the opposite. I was raised females could and should do anything the Lord told them to if they were married and had a husband. They submit in Ephesians 5, 21 fashion, mutual respect, mutual submission. And the husband's the head of the home, the tiebreaker. And that's how I was married. That's how I reared our children as well, both children. So there's a lot of complexity now, it looks like, in certain parts of the ministry, I would say mostly charismatic, that is more complex, that is more demanding and more performance required. And then there's so much huge confusion about thou shalt, thou shalt not with Levitical patriarchism. And we got this scripture. We'll tell you how we found it. We want to go back to the root of Levi. We want to go back to the root of the pioneering tribe to Adam and Eve. When did all this male and female stuff start to get difficult? What is God's answer for that? Who's Jezebel? What's the accuser? What's the Messiah? We have a lot to go through. So we're going to start today, and this is our first installment of our ebook. 
and we're going to do it for leaders so that you can help defrag the doctrine out in the people groups among men and women because it's time. There's a lot of accusation, a lot of oppression, suppression in some groups because of just plain old lack of gender knowledge, plain old jack lack of respect for gender, uh, respect for females or respect for males. We want to teach it both ways. So the Bible tells us, and I'm saying this out there because there's so much confusion where I've stumbled across it, never, never hearing it in my father's and mother's house, never seeing it in the evangelicals, basically. But I saw this, I saw this immaturity and lack of knowledge, even lack of love between respect for males and females. Maybe they didn't have a very happy uh, parenting disposition at home that they grew up with as their framework, which they could not help. But I would see this lack of respect for females, for women, real women of godly leadership, and it was immaturity based on all women are underneath all men, and that was confusion, and that was confusion that we're now addressing because it's not out in the, the bigger places, usually. It's not out in the black community. It's not out in the uh, different communities. It's in the white charismatic, basically. And when because I grew up non-charismatic, I really could tell a difference when I'd walk to the freedom of being with just the normal family. Capable men, very capable women, fine arts, but also fine business people. Never had any issue about a woman just because you always knew it was just, you know, just uh, mutual respect, mutual submission with the wife being the homemaker. And so there are different things that tie into this for another time, but my own father, my own background for, you know, the first 21 years of my life or so were just peace. They were just joy. They were just uh, mutual respect, mutual, mutual submission, pursuing your education, praying about what God wanted in your life with no questions asked because it wasn't difficult. There were no hoops to jump. There was none of this, who are you, thou under submission. It was no lording over somebody's position or role or office or man over woman type thing. And now I go back and find that out in uh, mostly charismatic ministry, pioneering ministry, there's huge amount of difficulty for a female to just come in, even to a meeting, to come into a uh, ministry without being regarded as either they're suspicious or they're, you know, not friendly or they back off or like all women are lower than all men, like a caste system. And that's not everywhere, but it's hit me more in the face since I've come to the Southwest, the Deep South, because I've never experienced it. I mean, rarely, never in my family, ever, all the men, all the generations, never in most of ministry experience for 30 years on the East Coast. However, I went on conferences a couple of times, maybe North Carolina or somewhere, I'd find gender bias, and I'd found uh, women are to be seen and not heard, and that's when this first started to get my attention. I didn't know what Levitical patriarchism would come out of this, but that's the word I call it, uh, that as God has given me, because really, frankly, after all the times I've heard women uh, look down on as Jezebels or the suspicious because their Jezebel refused to speak to them face to face, fear of being undermined or usurped, and that can be in Pentecostal, but it can be um, the urban legends of grassroots, deep, dark grassroots doctrine made up by years ago, doctrine leaders, you know, in the back of the prayer closet saying those those painted women, they're going to take you down in your ministry or, you know, urban legends and then gossip does happen and then they have the, I call it um, what the Lord has shown me, enthroning of Jezebel, putting Jezebel on a pedestal in prophetic ministry because of the teaching on it, so much teaching on it that it makes your eyes off of the risen Christ, the glory of the Lord, the power of God, the good, you know, the outbound, let's go tell the Lord 
it's good news and get people saved. Instead, it had become introverted down deposits of darkness, looking at other people in the Christian community with a quagmire of paranoia. And I saw that starting in the, in the deep south when the Lord sent me to ministry certain places. And I would see it in the prophetic move, basically. And so we're not against the prophetic move. I'm part of it. I'm a product of it. And I appreciate it. I'm a product of it in a mature fashion, hopefully. But I was also brought up in a, a very happy, non-patriarchal home. You know, there's. Uh, let me define this also. There's a difference, a huge difference in a, past, a pastor, a leader, a father who's a patriarch, a wise patriarch, the stable head of the, ga- the clan. You know, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with being a patriarch that needs wisdom, stability, soundness, counsel, all those good things, dignity, whatever your style of patriarch is. So there's nothing against it. It's nothing against a, a white patriarch either because we're teaching primarily on the result of fruit we found never in the African-American community at all when I've been in there many, many times midst until I moved out here. And I found nothing but respect for a, as a female, respect as a sent messenger time after time. And the African-Americans and the people of all the dark skin colors from other nations such as the Vietnamese, spirit-filled Vietnamese, which I oversaw with the help of another minister, he and I took turns uh, a church for a year and a half. So there are many things that have been wonderful I've seen in the charismatic movement. I've, I've seen the great leadership. I've seen the great heroes, the great doctrine, the roll call of faith, the, the many wonderful hours of, of listening to teaching doctrine and good soundness coming off of television, coming off of the tube and conferences. And I heartily agree. We agree to the faith of the fathers, the faith of the pioneering fathers. We honor you and the pioneering mothers. I've had many people speaking to my life through the years and that's what you know brought up this search because I was never criticized for being out of order or you know but from afar let's put it this way no one ever criticized me up front they only did it from afar I was jumped a couple of times as as the charismatic prophetic way uh, at grassroots so we want to when that happened it was a huge red flag I thought you know my father that's a it would be considered abuse it would be considered rude it would be disciplined behavior if somebody attacked a female or anybody, a lone person, in the front of a pulpit or out in a public gathering, and the Baptists caught wind of that, they would be out. All right. If anybody who had a normal type of uh, pedigree or lampstand ever thought that was correct, then I found that you know when I was younger, I was more naive, more immature. Uh, really being brought up to really put people on too many pedestals, thinking, you know, they're the head leader more than I. They've been around. They're more known. And then when they don't even follow protocol, they don't know the Bible. They don't know about confrontation, Matthew 18. They don't allow it. They're not submitting to Ephesians 5.21, yielding to mutual respect, mutual submission in the fear of the Lord. They avoid James 3.17, the wisdom that comes from God is, first of all, pure than peaceable, easily entreated, without partiality full of good fruit, full of mercy, without hypocrisy. When you go to talk to them and they duck and avoid, I mean, there's really a lot of of immaturity and childishness now that has played a part in this discussion of really wanting to know what are women really supposed to be doing and not doing? What can I do apart from charismatic doctrine, apart from Baptist doctrine, apart from uh, Assembly of God doctrine, apart from apostolic common doctrine that's out there in the field, what did the real Bible really say? 
And then I remember, my father just modeled Jesus. Acts 10.38, Jesus went about doing good. And I thought, there was no performance. There was no racism. There was no gender bias. There was no legalism. There was no thinking, my mom couldn't, you know, do this or that. You know, my mom didn't even cook. People are different. So it reminded me, this reminds me to say that everybody has to look back and say, how were you grown organically? You have your DNA, you come into the world, either it's going to be abuse or treasured or pampered. So you have to think, who was, uh, who was there? Was I the product of a uh, one-parent family? Bless that mama or that grandmother, okay, or the, great, the women that raised you. Was I a product of a two-family home that was peaceful? Was I a product of a two-family home that was abusive? Was I a product of a uh, uh, multi-father, stepfather, uh, weird arrangements that left me skewed with the vision of the father or a normalcy? Even though I get saved, are there things that I might have that could create remaining huge gaps and voids of what leadership as a man is? as a husband, as a father, and as a mantle wielder who has many women, females, in your staff or on your, in your congregation. So we noticed that, and I realized as the years have gone by and different instances happened when I saw things that happened that were unpleasant, like the accuser would show up, I'd always watch. I thought, you know, this is just a lesson that God uses me in the prophetic manner to walk in the office, that I'm, I'm learning that if it happened to me, who's in complete order, Always under a board. Call Reverend John Chapel and Sister Patty of LaughCry.org and ask them anything you want to ask them about every gory or good detail of my life. They know plenty and they can tell you all that really happened anytime you want. All right? I had many board members, many friends who were pastors, many males and females. This is not about me. This is not about being a female. This is not about being a pioneering female on purpose just to get anyone's women's lib thing. No, this is about Holy Spirit having to choose me and isolate me like he has many, many others out there who are non-gender biased, who are non-prone to be organ in the system or whatever, to have a, a thought that's different, to really depend upon the Lord, not upon people. And because I had the mercy the great mercy of having my love tank full as a, as a girl child growing up. I never sought the company of the wrong kind of men. I never sought uh, any divide to replace my daddy. I didn't seek it after I uh, got married. I was faithfully married, and that was a work, and I'll talk about that when I can, but the, and I need to. But right now, I'm just saying I had a great father for my children, one of the greatest, hardest workers you could ever want to find, dependable loved his wife and then when things happen throughout the life there were changes and at the end when there was a uh, a big heart operation things really changed and I was shocked I was given the door I was told that I was to have a divorce and I said no this is not the bible let's pray and get counsel and I was refused so with that happened it tore me apart but it made me also go back and think you know now I'm understanding the the life of divorced people. You know, if I walk out my life as a pure prophet, if I walk out my life to please the Lord, not myself, I think whatever he, he sends my way, I deal with his help. I learn from it. I can help somebody because it's a work in progress. So that's why you want to, you know, so the idea is now I see the, thankfully our children were grown and they're great people. It turned out to be the great mature 
young men and young women and their leaders. But the point is that the, the idea is not everybody had a normal background, a wisdom, a parenting, a great bunch of prayer warriors and friends who are true, that loved you enough to shoot straight but not kill you. All right, and then you had people that would not judge you or accuse you if something did not go perfectly well. And that's what I found. Thank God for good friends. Thank God for true friends who will never accuse me, who will never judge by the sight of their eyes or base decisions based on what they hear. They're not rumor mongers. All right, so that comes into play that you have to know down deep who your inner circle really is. Are they pure in heart? Are they really God chasers? Are they truth chasers? Are they just plain self-pleasers? So all these are works in progress, but I thought, you know, I've, I've been lived, I've lived my, God has used me with men, great men and training men, training teenagers. He's used me to give a word of the Lord to males as well as females, but really males all my life. And it's never been a work about a female. It's never been about that. It's all about pleasing God and happens to be, I find time after time that it's the man the godly man I'm sent to, all right? And if they, and, and I always, if I work with anybody, if I admire anybody, if I want to connect with anybody in a ministry sense or a work sense, I always watch. If they're married, what kind of vibe do I feel around them? Are they going to be pure in heart? Do they love their wife? Are they faithful? And I always make sure to know their wife unless they, which I've had experience this time around, if they are not honest with me, if they're not honest, and then they are saying, oh, the wife is in agreement, but really she's not, and I don't know about it till it's too late. I mean, that's shocking, so I'm really careful, and I'm even more so now. But the idea is we're not here to play games, and I find that in ministry, uh, apart from where I used to live and grew up, I found there's not a, a reality out here. There's not a reality of we're really in it seriously. That really is a life and death matter. When people come to our ministry that are really hurting, it's not about just jump for joy. It's all about us and our ministry. Let's close the door to help anybody in an emergency if it is, you know, if they're not our member, if they don't write a check to our ministry every month. You know what I mean? So we're finding that there's a need for rubber to meet the road and a grassroots approach to really surface for a while to make sure that that's not plastic, it's not phony, it's not game playing, it's not naive. It's not really letting God send you people and then they end up wounded worse than before because you're just plastic and phony and you don't know your doctrine about women real women you don't know and you've heard the lies from the old spiritual wives tale husbands tales of forefathers and rumors from the grassroots pentecostal the grassroots charismatic or whatever your denomination was and so my i love people i god's people but you know there's two things i hate and i've always hated it since i was five i hate dishonest emotional dishonesty not being direct and i hate People are accused without speaking, which is the same thing. So I'm a kind of person that, you know what, I don't believe gossip. I never believe in evil report. I will not let people tell me gossip, and I always have. And my good friends, real friends, are like that. And Jesus is like that, even if sometimes your friends aren't the people they say they are. So let's go on. We're going to get the ground root, but we have to hear, am I a wholesome female? Am I a female that has grudges against men? Do I you know, have a man-hating spirit or a man-pleasing spirit? I don't think I have either one by now. 
But I have the joy of the Lord as my strength. And I'm not trying to work this ministry. I'm just trying to say that, you know what? God has given me strength to keep on going and persevere. Not let anything stop me. Not let any prejudice. Not any chauvinism. Not any white uh, oppression of, you know, uh, you know, doctrines of legalism. And because of my great dad, because of my own dad's maturity, myself, the good brothers I see in the body of Christ that are not afraid, that are not patrician, that are not uh, refusing to grow or, or ignoring their doctrine, they're not slaves to the rumors, oh, the little woman, you know, the woman that, the weak-willed woman is one, they, you know, the men are, the weak-willed woman better watch out, you know, those are going to trick you up, well, they forget the other part of the scripture, which we're now teaching balanced scripture, it says, the weak-willed women are fallen prey to sin because the men have come in there to manipulate them so and take advantage of them. So we're going back to the good book. We're going back to the doctrine, and now we're going to start. We're going to get over to where it all began, the male and female thing, and we're going to tell you what Levitical patriarchism is, and it is the Old Testament Levitical rules about females being under all men, being second class, not allowed to have the privilege of, of having a leadership position. We're saying that we're going to teach on that because it's not New Testament when you look through the eyes of Paul. When you say in Christ, when you put on Christ, there is no male or female, Greek or Jew, bond or free. And we're going to say, I want to know nothing except Christ and him crucified, just like Paul wrote. We're going to look around eventually at Jesus, the Savior, who treated all women with respect. He was not a Levitical patriarchism. Patriarch, okay? So there's a difference between good patriarchs that are wise, healthy family men, heads of families and clans, and their customs. They may be dignified. They may be set in their ways a bit, or even a lot. That didn't make them a Levitical patriarchism. Levitical patriarchism has a list of do's and don'ts and thou shalt nots, and they keep watch on everybody else to see if they're submitting to them, to their rules, not by the Bible, not by the knowledge of the whole Testament, New Testament freedom, when Jesus the Messiah came to fulfill the law and to test any doctrine that you, that I would say or anybody else, even if it's reproving, we need to go by two things, Messiah, Isaiah 11, the fruit of the Messiah, Isaiah 11, 3, the Messiah would not judge by the sight of his eyes. He loved the fear of the Lord, it says, the fear of the Lord. He did not judge by the sight of his eyes or make decisions based on what he heard. He was a perceiver, a discerner of the thoughts of men's and women's hearts. Then we go to the um, teaching on the... We go to the other part. The other scripture is James 3.17. The wisdom of God is first of all pure, then peaceable, easily entreated, not dominating, without partiality, doesn't play favorites. All right? The wisdom of God is first of all pure, then peaceable, easily entreated, without partiality, with full of good fruit, full of mercy, without hypocrisy. And I believe that if you'll speak to me, or know my life, or know my message, or my mouth, you'll find I'm all three. Now, when you get injustice in front of me, you get things I will reprove, I'll, re you know, I'll correct, and I might get fired up. Tough love, like Jesus in the temple money changers, but other than that, pretty calm, and really nothing except a spirit of religion, 
a spirit of people being dishonest emotionally when they could have come and spoken to me or somebody else and not enable the accuser. Those are the only things that can get me fired up. So let's go to where this all began. Let's go to the balmy, calm, organic Garden of Eden back in Genesis 1. Here we have in Genesis 1 and 2 the first man ever created. All right, and the first man, we're going to go through how the father of Father God who never accuses, he instructs, he affirms, he commissions, and then he avoid he doesn't avoid confrontation, he confronts like he did with Adam. All right, he leaves a legacy where he says either you do it or you're going to pay a consequence. So there was tough love involved, no blame shifting allowed. And then we go down and we think, well, when we go to the need in the New Testament and today in modern ministry for the fathers, for the faith of the fathers to continue, for the faith of the, of the true organic body of Christ to continue, and then the need and many for covering. What is covering all the doctrines out there the that are twisting the organic real meaning of fathering in spiritual fathering terms, as well as the lack and noticeable absence of real fathers in America today around the world, and then the pride and arrogance in some, uh, in some of the ministry, fivefold offices that say they need to be over everybody, it's self-important, when we haven't even looked at the entire Bible, such as Ephesians 2 through 521, cross-body unity with humility, meekness, common doctrine, and then lowercase, fivefold offices. So there's a lot of things that are entwined with the Levitical patriarch patriarchism message. The Levitical term, Levitical patriarch, comes from when I had been through the body of Christ since 1976, commissioned by the Lord to go out to be led one day in, one day out, not knowing exactly what I was going to do and why, but doing things, other things like having children, having a ministry, but then being led of the Spirit very carefully, like uh, like Ezekiel's wheel, all right, like Enoch. So I was just led faithfully, one moment in, moment nothing fancy, no flashy, not real known on the media, on the radio, on TV some, but other than that, just doing whatever the Lord said. And when he would take me out of state, when he'd take me around the body, I'd notice different doctrines, different styles, different winds of doctrine, different fads and fancies that would pass through. I was with the the um, all the pastors and leaders from 79, let's say, until uh, moved to Texas, basically, or maybe a little before then. And so I was just always there with them, hearing their thoughts and praying for a revival, for national repentance, for racial reconciliation. I was with all colors, African-American community, had board members and friends there as well as board members and friends, spiritual advisors, confidants that were males in the white community, charismatic community as well. Had covering, as they call it now, in terms. I had, was under a nonprofit, taught in a, uh, a Bible school. I taught Bible study starting in 1986 in a big West End Assembly of God. And then I were, and there was no patriarchal, you know, no, no patriarchal woman thing with them that I remember it was very peaceful and loving and then I just remembered all good things I could remember nothing that was 
accuser enabling. I remember nothing toward me that was demeaning. I remember no disrespect for me in the white community or the black community for years and years because as I look back, in hindsight, there were no doctrines on covering. There was no doctrine on shepherding. There was no doctrine on the Nicolaitans, which says that elevates the pulpit leadership from the laity. So there was none of that. It was a clean slate. It was grassroots, really, or organic. And it reminded me of my dad, reminded me of going about, Jesus going about doing good. So we're going to take this in a great depth to make sure everyone knows our heart, that we have a heart that's pure, that's for the Lord, and that's for his body. This is not about one person. This is to tell this so that we look as a nation and say, is there, are, there, are there doctrinal changes specifically that we could address, that we want to address that will help bring back that father feeling, the father comforters feeling, the Holy Spirit, that that teaching of respect for all genders, whether they're by themselves there or not, whether they're male or female, if you have a new visitor that comes in, even if you like structure, even if you don't like conformity at all, let's have a blanket doctrine that teaches respect for males and females and give you scriptures behind it because of the rampant and too many places. And this is why this topic is called Levitical Patriarchism because of the Jezebel spirit teaching. And we submit it to you. A lot of people in prophetic ministry, charismatic, have enthroned Jezebel. They have made it unfriendly for females to come in if they happen to look strong or have a different kind of mantle than they're accustomed to. And that's what I realized I noticed when I'd go out of state. I never found any type of weird suspicion or drawing back or unfriendly, suspicious. You know, they stare at you even. I never found that until I went to other prophetic ministries. And then I would go back and I would think, you know, I don't... When I have my friends that are ministers and I have my board type people, everybody looks at me straight in the face. They treat me, hello, oh, we're glad to see you. And, you know, we talk business, talk shop. It isn't like there's anything about personality. It's about the Lord. And then you go out to certain groups and I noticed they were always white. I started noticing that, you know, these people don't act like my father. My father was could handle me. These people look like they're afraid or upset that I'm there. And when I was there, even though they had wonder I found many great things, admirable things, I would notice the way the treatment of females were in general in the whole population. There was usually never a leader that was female allowed to speak. They were always sort of like the intercessors or somebody, and even the intercessors were dreary because they looked like they were oppressed, that they were the lesser, you know, like the Jezebels. And I noticed these groups talked on Jezebel, sold books on Jezebel, and they, they started, and this is up and down the East Coast in the white community, prophetic only, not black. And I noticed that a woman could easily spook some of these guys, some of these pastors, even if they were six foot four. They could... Because I would walk in after having feisty, much more feisty than I, healthy board members who love their family. I could go into them and just, they would discern my spirit correctly. I have a spirit of might. God's might on me is dynamite. But I use it very carefully. I watch my ego, you know. I try to be careful of my boundaries, my leader boundaries, not to usurp yours or anyone else's. And so I know my boundaries. Well, these guys had bigger boundaries. And I went, wow, they're amazing. But they were like healthy people. And they're 
if they were married, they had strong females that were their worthy counterpoints, and those women respected their husband. So I felt like the weaker vessel all the time with my board members that are so full of Pentecost and power, they had no time to be afraid of anybody, all right? I was married to the same kind of person, mighty male. I felt like the weaker vessel. I advise a woman. This is my advice. Great dad to my children. Great, great role model for provision. All these things. And I find that, you know, people who would look at somebody after they were told a divorce during a time of illness and you didn't want, it's really rough. They would look at you like you're a sinner, the accuser of the brethren and sistren of divorced people, which I never had ever done myself and I knew it happened but I didn't know how bad it was how snaky, how low and unrespectful so we're teaching against it, I'm not ashamed I'm not ashamed because you know what the Bible tells that every divorce is different just like every man is different every woman is different, every ministry is different, every pioneer and pastor is different you can't judge by stereotypes, you can't accuse by your denomination or your Levitical patriarch background about that by projecting unclean demons on people which is what Levitical patriarch does and I'm hitting it on the head All right, it's projecting from afar without walking up and showing a person that you are genuine enough, kindly enough respectful enough, compassionate enough like Jesus Christ to speak with them in person and see exactly the ins and outs of their details you can walk into a member like, a, like for instance I never had done this until this happened but I thought you walk into some groups and they have a paper that you have to sign were you divorced and why and I thought oh my stars it's like they're accusing the divorced person of being up to something going to sneak in their choir and cause trouble it's disgusting. So it really made me want to confront it, and I'm standing up to confront. Because you know what? If I get married, I'm not going to go out and look for anybody. I know what good marriage can be half the time. I, I just think it's a great thing to, to, to hold out and not settle for seconds or thirds. So my role is I'm happy with God. Thank God I had a ministry. Thank God I had great, capable parents. It doesn't make me want to look. I'm going to wait till God throws somebody in my path. And I told my I tell everybody else, why bother? And, and you need to pre-screen whoever's supposed to come into your life and get four or five other people to check them out. That's what I do. So I'm not looking. I'm happy. But the idea is I want you to see somebody who can do this to tell other people it's possible. And that I refuse because of my daddy, because of my God, because of my doctrine and my good teaching and my friends who validate me, my board members, my... Other people who don't look at me as a reject, they don't look at me as some stereotype, but they say, who are you one by one, case by case, and they validate me, and I feel thrilled and proud to be one of God's people who happens to stand up and talk on against Levitical patriarchism, that blame-shifting, accusing, looking and watching, Pharisee fruit, that follow Jesus, the accuser of the Pharisees, follow Jesus. So we're not going to settle for it. We're teaching on it, but we have to say, let's. everybody's going to want to quote a scripture. So that's what we're doing. We're going to quote all the scriptures that says this is possible, even if your backwoods denomination doesn't think so. And that's why God made the scriptures of no private interpretation because if you want to still believe that 
be a patriarch, a Levitical patriarch, you choose to do that. But my Bible to, and my mind are renewed to the Word of God, the power of God, and He stripped me from all that legalism. I know the power of God, and I've got a great dad, mom, because of that. I mean, it really, it, what a child gets put in their hard drive really can help you the rest of your life. I found that out. If nobody's there for you, the goodness of God, the Bible, and your memories are good to draw on. Keep you healthy and self, health, healthy and wise. So because I'd heard all the teaching when I went through charismatic circles at the leading of the Lord of Jezebels, I saw people in Florida looking for Jezebels everywhere. I never heard that before in Richmond. I never heard that before in, in uh, black doctrines, African-American. I never heard that before in Pentecostals, seeing devils everywhere. I never heard that before in Baptists or Evangelicals, or white community. So I think, well, why is it? so pronounced I was wondering and curious and I thought why are people seeing Jezebels and I would find it other places where they had prophetic meetings so we said you know there's good and bad but I realized after I drew away that Lord said you know it's taken the joy out of fun uh, out of my house it's taken it all this submission doctrine all this watching to people keeping their noses on who's under who and who it's Levitical patriarchism it's spying it's watching it's it's spreading rumors but it's not confronting and so I had that happen to me a couple of times and I heard all the Jezebel stuff going around and I thought I had one person I was in, in this little church and I had sat trying to get refreshed and I went there just by myself and I sat in the back and of course I'd been on the, working for the Lord needed more power I thought this is a great place to be it looks like a safe place I knew the pastor I'm going to go in there and sit under this revival speaker well, during the middle of the sermon, this guy who is from the same denomination that has the accuser of the brethren, the same one that is the most prone to have Levitical patriarchism by naming names from the pulpit of famous preachers, by naming names publicly on their radio and television, at least radio uh, things, the same kind of guy was preaching from that denomination. And during the middle of the sermon, he, out of 20 people there, if that many, he looks right at me and he says, and of course, there are a lot of Jezebels these days or something like that. And that energy, I could feel it because I'm a discerner, perceiver, prophet. I could feel that attack against a woman of God, a woman of faith, a woman of who needed refreshment, was there to be uplifted and edified instead of viewed through the lens of some Levitical patriarch, some person with maybe a guilty conscience toward women. That's what I felt like when I studied Levi. I thought, you know, a lot of people talk about Jezebel. All these books, they trace Jezebel's roots. They talk about poor Ahab. Oh, and that mean Jezebel. And they quote Jezebel from Revelation, that prophetess Jezebel. Always a woman. And I thought, I'm going to go nip this in the bud. I'm going to check this out and see if I am one. And I'm going to see what this scripture really says. So that's what I did. Like a noble Berean, I got out my work and I started. And that's where this Levitical patriarchism comes from. I figured, you know, if there's a Jezebel uh, attached to the female, let's see who Levi was, the head of the tribe. And sure enough, when you get into the dysfunction, the chaos, the misogyny, the murder, the rebellion, the usurping of his own father, the patriarch's authority, Jacob, all this stuff going on, selling his brother into betrayal Joseph into slavery. Man, 
we better do our own inner work for we label or accuse any gender. So I thought, and historically, the Levitical patriarch Levi precedes Jezebel. And I have a whole teaching on that. We won't get there today. But we want to say there's no one-size-fits-all pastor. There's no one-size-fits-all minister. There's no one-size-fits-all female. There's no one-size-fits-all male. There is all, you know, there are all these tribes. They had 12 tribes in Israel. Well, then that means they're all different identities, all right, different. And even with uh, the study of Levi, did you realize that, that some of the children weren't even all from Leah or Rachel. There were maids involved. Dan and Asher were from a maid. There was a lot of contesting and contentiousness among the wives who could have the most children out of Jacob. And they even gave their, uh, Rachel gave her, wife, her, her maid to, to the, um, Jacob and he had two children. And then the other one couldn't be outdone, Leah. So she got back and gave the maid, gave it to um, her maid to Jacob and she had more children. So finally they had 13, 12 men, 12 boys, and one girl, Dinah. So there's a lot of misogyny, mixed up, dysfunction, chaos. Dr. Phil would be called in, you know, even back then, maybe Dr. Philistine. But the idea is we have to go through our own life and see, are we mixing up the relationship with the other gender, mixed on toxicity from our other brothers, our spiritual fathers, our, our, our own misviews of women, of our own mistreatment in the past of females, our own angry mother, dominating grandmother, uh, the contentious intercessor that I knew when I was 30. Are there things now that color us in our perception and making a wholesome, safe place for a female to come in of, or any person of any gender? So we have to go through that. And the reason we're, we're naming the Levitical patriarchism, can I ever say it? Levitical patriarchism is because of Jezebel. As Jezebel is to female in urban legend ministry, so is Levitical patriarchism to male. All right, white male. So we're going to go to prove this. Is she right? I can't believe it. Is she prejudiced toward males? Is she bad-mouthing ministers? Is she talking against me? Well, we'll have to see. We're going to go through and prove that there is no stereotype. That a female who's controlling and dominating, bossy and seducing through doctrine or any other way is a female that does that, but there are males that do the same. If there is a, a person who's a dominating patriarch that's undermining, that's attacking, that's uh, exploiting, that's rebellious, that does things behind the back and takes advantage, all right, has man-hating, well, then they could be a matriarch, a Levitical matriarch. So there are Levitical matriarchs and Levitical patriarchs, just as they're Jezebel-type men and type women leaders, all right? So we have to go in one by one, case by case, individual by individual and that's how I see my life some people some ministries see a beach if you had a picture of a beach they'd say oh look at the beach it looks so great that means they look in general they look at a uh, huge crowds 
But with OCFC and Tevo DRC leadership, we say, no, we look at every grain of sand and we marvel at it. And we say, look, it shines in the light just like this. And it's so different from that one over there. Oh, but they're equal. And we love them. And we love how God made them so differently. So we can get into the unique individual. That's why we'll never, ever stereotype you in your role, your gender, your race, your size, your look, and so forth or your marriage, or whatever. We're keeping it simple. Let's go through our history now. Why did the Messiah... Let's start this way. Why did God, who confronted Adam in the garden without yelling, who is not a a condemning accuser when Adam did sin in Genesis 3, why would he get a name of being so evil in the world today, so accused? And then why did the Messiah... When we teach of Jesus Christ, why is he blamed and blame shifted upon by people who don't know him and people in the world that call other people like horrible names in the name of Jesus, like hate speech and stuff? Why are they thinking that the that they resemble Jesus the Messiah? Because in in the Isaiah 11 verse 3, it says the Messiah never judged by the sight of his eyes. He never accused, all right? So in our ministry, we want to point out that if we have a doctrine, a leadership, training, the way we respond to people, the way we react to people, we need to resemble the Messiah who would not judge by the sight of his eyes or accuse. He was not proud. He had the fear of the Lord, it also says. He didn't base his decisions on what he heard or his own thinking. He heard by the Spirit. He was a perceiver, prophet. Jesus was perceiver, prophet, seer of magnitude. All 100% of sevenfold spirits of God all wrapped in one. So we think we cannot activate. I don't want to activate the accuser against you. I don't want to activate the accuser against any in sin consciousness. I don't want to activate the accuser in making you feel like I'm against males or females, all right, or against tradition. I'm against the accuser. And what we want to find is we're finding the accuser in plastic ministry. We're finding the accuser in ignorance. We're finding the accuser where it makes Jesus' house unsafe at any speed. We're finding it because if I'm a female that happens to be sent by the Lord and on the East Coast, when it did happen, when I was sent out from time to time to a couple of conferences, and I would always, because you're human, you want to have friends. You say, can you go with me, friend, girlfriend? Can you go with me? No, we can't go. We can't. We're too tired. We're too poor. Whatever it was. And I thought, well, every time he went, I was going to a prophetic conference. And I thought, you know what? It must be God want me to have time with him, like a honeymoon retreat, which I did. And my husband always couldn't go and my husband didn't want to go and then I he always gave me permission it was always like everything's fine the Lord and my husband are pleased I'm going to go on down down south but when I got there I found that it was not the kind of men mighty males that I was used to wasn't like my family wasn't like my father wasn't like my husband wasn't like the men in my uh, company it wasn't like the people in I in the ministry where I lived in that area in the whole region I found them spooked by my merely coming in to the, like, just go in there, and they had some kind of woman thing, that women had demons, or women were, I don't know, unpleasant. 
So it made me feel rejected. It made me feel accused as a woman of God, as a leader of God. And then when I tried to speak to a couple of these people just to say thank you, which I would normally at normally any pastor's gathering up in the north in Virginia, I would found that they were freeze, that they would look like they were afraid, that they were uh, not a, that the women were not supposed to touch near to say even thank you. They were not allowed to cross that holy threshold to say hi to your leadership table. or to, I mean, it was just like, whoa, where did this come from? So when I noticed, I studied people. God had called me to do it in 1976. I studied kinds of reactions. I studied doctrine. I thought, you know, the same people seem to react to female. Any old white female in the groups that study dark doctrine. The same ones that look like they're powerful could tremble, will actually tremble if a white female walks up to them that is commissioned under authority and submission in every single way, and they walk up, but because of their doctrine, they've elevated and enthroned Jezebel, the Queen Jezebel, and they think because some woman has got a leadership authority that, that you're a Jezebel spirit sent to undermine them, and they refuse to even say hello. They refuse, and it really is an accuser offense. It is accuser of the brethren of ignorance, lack of respect, and these people. Otherwise, you'd think they're gentlemen, real gentlemen, nice people. But I've never saw, when I looked at, when this happened, rarely, thankfully, I couldn't have stood it anymore. When the black community, not anybody ever did that, no matter, not till this day. Nobody's. They could see right through me. They know me by my spirit. That's what I figured. They weren't looking. The black community and the black race and the people that come from Africa, other nations, they're so used to dealing with demons. They're so used to it. They're all powered up. They got all seven spirits already working. They're discerning all the time. They can see if I'm a racist. They can see if I'm a prejudice to them. They're already used to that because they've had to fight it all their lives. And they now have got it down. They're keen in the spirit and they're perceivers. After what I've been through in my life, the accuser of the cistern or whatever it is, betrayal, all the uh, different doctrine rumors and stuff of different people that weren't my friends, I'm a perceiver's perceiver. And you know what? It's time to let the other perceivers come out of the box because you don't have to be feeling accused and rejected because of people's doctrines are poor they might be great and lifted up but you know what we got to fill in a few grave spots so that the people the females the strong women of god the grandmothers who have to uh pull on their own weight to you know make it with the grandchildren they've inherited and all these things they feel respected when they come in they're not just because they're strong i call them Egals. They have to fly alone, not because they want to. And when I was uh, married, uh, things happened around Jimmy. You know, went south with the Lord first. And then you find that people have to be their own person. You cannot be their mother. You can't make them read their Bible. You shouldn't have to. You wouldn't want to. You don't want to be their Holy Spirit. You want them to grow up. You have to work on yourself. And if they change mood swings, if they change and have challenges, you're going to have to be there to be faithful. You're going to have to forgive, but you're going to have to be the head of the home unintentionally, not in a dominating way, not in a controlling way, but just because you have to, you'll die. Your family will die because of the spiritual warfare leveled your way, and that's where I grew strong. If I didn't know the Lord like I do in his power and faith, 
I would have been dead, a dead doormat just being lying there waiting for somebody with a parked car to get up and unpark and put it into drive. The spiritual warfare is so bad that we've had to grow up, and that's why a lot of females are out there, and that's why a lot of people say, you know what, this submission doctrine based on lack of knowledge, lack of joy, keeping track of everybody else, who's who, who's under who, I mean, if I could think of certain groups right now, I think in the charismatic community only, it's exhausting. Who's over who? Who's over who? It isn't about the Lord. You know, the good part, the good part of the charismatic movement are parts of the body, Christ's body. The true body is like, what's God doing today? What's he doing in your ministry? What's he doing in your life? That's the kind of thing that pleases God and pleases me. I want to find that right now in our area. What's God doing? It isn't about, I think she's not supposed to be she's out from under authority he's not under authority who are they under are they under me i'm over everybody you know what that removes the joy because it's legalism it's spying it's pharisees just like watching jesus so we're getting over when we teach of levitical patriarchism it has to do a lot with maturity it has a lot with doctrine of males and females, she's and he's in roles of houses and in roles of God's house. It has a lot to do with the Bible, which is in operation today in your ministry. Is it now in this day and time, is it going to be like Jesus in the New Testament? Or is it going to be like, let's take the Old Testament theology from the Levitical patriarch tribe, the one that attacked Jesus personally, Send him to the cross. Are we going to take that out in bits and pieces and apply it now to make sure all the women are under us? That there are no women leaders. There's nobody up on the platform. That they're, you know, stigmatized if they get, you know, if they're single in the audience. All right. Are they going to really be activating the old, age old? I don't know where it came from. I don't know if it's Pentecostal, Church of God. I don't know what these things are. I'm not blaming those people, but I'm thinking, in my deepest memory as a Baptist, in my deepest memory, I don't remember anything like this. No submission doctrine. Just obey your parents and submit to your husband. All right? I don't remember any of this hoops jumping performance in the Baptists, in the Methodists, in the Presbyterians. I don't remember any of the demon spying, the dark doctrines, the female Jezebels. I don't remember that. Their time is up. That accuser of the cistern, that family destroying feeling of making God's house not safe any longer is gone. It's time to dethrone Jezebel. Let's enthrone Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Father of mercy, who overcame the death and hell, is seated at the right hand of God. He embodies all the fivefold offices, servant leader style. He embodies all seven spirits of God, lampstand style. All right, so we want to think of the positive. We want to make it hopeful. We want to transfer this to say, how will this make it, instead of dark and divisive, how are we going to end up with covering, like a corporate anointing of covering that John the Baptist said in Luke 17, that a change was coming, that he would come to make the hearts of the fathers go back. Let me get that Bible out. I've got it right here. Luke 1, 17. This is the goal for our nation. This is the goal for our revival. This is the goal for right now. 
All right. And he himself, John the Baptist, will go before him, the Messiah, Jesus, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient and incredulous to the wisdom of the upright. So in other words, when the major epic change of the spiritual realm, the climate, infiltrated through evangelism, through witnessing the good news that would come in the spirit and power of Elijah, the fivefold offices, the lampstands, the gifts of the spirit, the book of Acts, all right? What it would do would not just be healing. It would not just be reconstructing and healing and restoration. It would not just be the power of God. It would be the love that covers. It would turn back a healing to the generations. Make it unity in the generations by making there a mantle of the corporate anointing that would turn the hearts of the fathers, the real fathers, to their children. There would be no more talk shows with all these women and, you know, how many fathers figure all these babies and no father ever present on the talk show. It's always the mother by herself getting, you know, the single mom. All right, there'd be less divorce, there'd be less single, you know, abuse, all these different things. Because the true fathering, the one that really understands how women work, how real families work, how real respect works, how real authority works would be in the pulpit. And they would model the father's heart, non-accusing, non-Levitical patriarchism or matriarchism, non-divisive, not religious, but loving and powerful, and they would turn, the witness of that will turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. Those who have a spiritual fathering call, whether you're male or female, doesn't matter, black or white, those who have a calling to parent in pastoring, in leadership, will help the new ministers feel covered and fathered emotionally and spiritually by the prayer, by the witness, by the hero in the office of the chief apostle, the fivefold ministry. It says he'll turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. This is the spirit and power of Elijah, okay? There'll be no more rage, all right? There'll be love, all right? Power of God, the self-control to turn the hearts of the fathers, both generational fathers naturally and spiritual generation, to the children. It will turn the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. That means the sinner will come back. The backslider will come home. The new believer, the one who doesn't know Jesus, will come to the Lord. All right? They'll have the wisdom of the just. And it will make the people of God prepared for the soon return of the Lord. All right? You're going to make the people of God ready for the return of the Lord. And that's where we live right now. This is what I'm submitting. It's so important. It's so eager. I'm so eager to tell this so that we get over the childishness, get over the racism, get over the backbiting, the immaturity, and let's get on with the revival. Let's get on with the show. Jesus show the power of God, the love of God, the fear of the Lord. Males and females going about doing good like Jesus, not checking on who's under whom. Now we have to, we understand, teach on real deal organization, real respect. What's the difference between a respect from a person with a mantle, a proven mantle, and somebody's a brand new believer? We understand all that. But this is the general grassroots 
fivefold office, we're talking about the ones that have no clue about the real fathering heart of God, the real covering soft heart of God. It's hard scrabble. It's tough. It's me-centered. It's not going about doing good. It's looking for who's, you're on the lookout for who's going to be under you so you can get your pocketbook and your needs met and your ministry so that it can go to the next level. That's not scriptural, all right? When we tell people now, when we have people that are always looking, especially if you're a woman, test case, all right? You go out somewhere, and if they're pastors, five-fold offices about my age, you know, they're looking to see, is she under me? All right, who's she covered by? I bet she's sent. I'm over her if they're a man. All right, I'm thinking, no, this is why we're teaching on it. There's ignorance out there, and it shuts me down when I'm being accused. It shuts down anybody, your wife, if you're accusing her, because it's Levitical patriarchism, lack of knowledge, and then some of it's just plain old country grassroots. So let's be careful. We do know our scripture, because then we won't limit the move of God. I tell people now, if you're really set, if you're really upset by anyone who teaches like this, then I ask you, if you need me to be under you, then I ask that you first observe Ephesians 5.21, James 3.17, and Paul's commission to the church at Ephesus, chapters 2 through 5.21. And I'll be on your team, okay? Come and get me. Let me know if you're there. We'll be glad to have you speak into our life because there's a difference between being possessed by somebody, demeaned by somebody, controlled, trying to who doesn't even have a clue about you as a person or your call or doesn't even think women, females, are allowed to do doctrinal issues, big doctrinal issues because of their pedio, I mean their stereotyping, chauvinism or whatever. All right, then you need to talk to me, Eagle at yahoo.com, and I'll send you my pastor's cell phone. But the idea is we're not here to be combative. We're here to say, let's liberate the men. The women are, are yearning to be free. I'm already free. That's why I'm not going back. My father raised me free in the fear of the Lord, mutual respect, mutual submission with the husband's head of the home. But then my Bible and my father just said, Jesus went about doing good, do whatever the Lord sends you to do. And then in Paul, in Christ, there is no male or female, no black or white, bond or free. And then God specializes in exceptions. Look at the Old Testament. There's Deborah the prophetess. Deborah the prophetess went to work every day judging men out in the men's world and business and for the nation. But she came home and was married to Lapidoth, and she'd park her mantle at the door like a briefcase and submit to him, be the weak, cherished weaker vessel. There was Huldah in the Old Testament who was given a word of the Lord for men, just like females. So it's one person at a time. It's one case at a time, and there is no stereotype. And female, I just, you know, I bless you and lift you up. We want to help you with your doctrine. We'll help you get going, feel affirmed. Male, we just love you. We're thankful for you. We just thank for the ones that do not oppress females, that don't want to intentionally, and that you just didn't know any better. And Lord, we just bless the name of Jesus and all these fivefold lampstands, all these different works. We just say we're thankful for you. We're proud of you. And let's go about doing good just like Jesus in Acts 10.38 without, without enabling the accuser as a perceiver, as a seer. I can 
perceive it. I know when people are watching by the spirit. I know when they're not in the room, when they're thousands, you know, 100 miles away or around the area. I can tell who it is. I'm a perceiver. So let's just pretend others can hear you if you're accusing. And so we want to lift up people and we want to say, bless them and don't hinder people in the prophetic walk. That's what we're saying by enabling the accuser because then they have to deal with it. It confuses their, their picking up things that are good and joyful in the spirit. And you want to be uh, an enabler of what's positive, not a charismatic witch, not a charismatic nosy busybody, not a charismatic nut. And so we're putting that out there. And my name is Dr. Tavo Diarcy. We're coming to you. This is just the first overview of the Levitical patriarchism teaching. And we're making it our ebook number one. God bless you and have a great day.